Hello, and welcome to the Upwards Podcast. I'm Dan, your host, and I'm excited to be talking to Brian Beatty. He's one of the new staff at Upper House. He's our new director of marketing. And in this conversation, we talk about Brian's biography, where he comes from, and some of his key thoughts on communications that he's bringing to our project. All that after the music. Welcome to the Upwards Podcast, an initiative of Upper House on the campus of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Through meaningful conversations, we explore the life of the mind and questions of the soul to enrich our university, our community, and the church. Be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on your preferred podcast service and check out our upcoming events at upperhouse.org. So Brian, we're here actually at Upper House. We're in an interesting spot. We're in a new uh, recording spot back in the Blackhawk offices. Um, excited to uh, be here with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's it's a beautiful day in Madison, and uh, the cozy comfiness of this uh, office. I, I really you know think people are going to. I mean, I'm I'm like two feet away from you here. Yes. So Dan, this is a great way for you and I to get to know each other better. Yeah, and and we have, the reason we're in this office is we have a big event happening in the space today. We got that sort of pre-event energy around the space, everyone's prepping, uh, speakers are coming in from out of town, all that kind of stuff. Well, Brian, I'm talking to you because you're one of the newest staff on, uh, on staff here at the Brown Foundation at Upper House. Um, so give us a sense of uh, what, you, what you've come here to do. Yeah, so uh, uh, Dan, thank you for, uh, this opportunity to uh, talk today. I uh, just wrote my bio actually uh, mm. that will will show up on the website soon. And to uh, to be the first uh, director of marketing here mm. at Upper House in almost its uh, 10 year uh, history is a great honor uh, for me. Uh, certainly if you were to ask me a year ago, would I be sitting in this uh, chair right now uh, saying that very thing is, um, but you know, we'll we'll certainly uh, delve into that. But uh, functioning in that role, a director of marketing, and and I would I'd probably say like chief storyteller mm. uh, is a great great honor for me, and I'm really glad glad to be here. Loving Madison, uh, what a great city! I think so. Somebody was telling me the other day that uh, Wisconsin um, is kind of like a flyover state. Um, there aren't a lot of direct flights that come into Madison. Maybe Milwaukee. Um, and maybe that's by design, but it really is uh, a great city and, and, a, and a very well-kept secret. Yeah, I, we, we definitely think so. Um, well, we're going to, one of the purposes of this conversation is to get to know you, Brian, to introduce you to the broader uh, Upwards uh, audience. But yeah, you mentioned you, you've just sort of moved to Madison or you'll be having a sort of part-time here, part-time uh, back in your hometown for a while. But uh, as a fresh set of eyes on Madison, uh, what's something that's stuck out to you about the city? And you, you've come at the perfect time, right? So you uh, came in in August and September. These are, and then and then we're in October. Beautiful times uh, to be in Madison. What strikes you about the city? Yeah, I th I think Madison is a place, and I've met a lot of people. It, being new here provides you the opportunity to come in with real fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the places that I, uh, I visit, go to, I live in a part of town that has easy access to 
um, open open spaces and and trails, and yet there's a lot of uh, businesses around, easy places for me to shop. But everybody that I I run into has been here in Madison for a while. I try to strike up conversations, and and time and time again, I find that people genuinely love Madison. Um, and it's there are intangibles, and that there are tangibles about it. You know the the college uh, culture here, the university ha- has a, a a very um, impressive presence here in the community. But the just the natural beauty of living on an or and working on an isthmus, you know, and and understanding that Seattle is the only other uh, place in the country that has the isthmus. So just the natural beauty of the lakes um, and the the greenery. Uh, I drove from uh, Madison to uh, Lake Geneva to see my in-laws uh, the other day, and it was just such a beautiful drive, the farms, the rolling hills. Um, but I, I think, uh, get, getting back to my earlier point, that people just really love Madison. They're proud of this city and uh, want to invest uh, in it and see it succeed. Yeah. I think that's right. I've been here for 13 years now, so obviously not a, a native, but I've come to be proud of the city as well. Um, it's a it's a great place to go to school. That's where I was doing for the first part, but now raising a family here, it's it's great too. So welcome. There's good stuff in October. It gets a little rough uh, after that, depending <laughs> on your preference for cold. Oh, um, weather. But- I, I think, you know, I go back to, uh, I think it was a North Face ad, or maybe it was REI that said, you know, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad gear. Uh-oh. And so, you know, you could, you could uh, spend a small fortune. You know, I, I said to the executive director, John Terrell, the other day, hey, you know, I'm going to be investing a $750 parka, you know, for the winter. <laughs> I live right around the corner from REI. And he said, you know, that actually doesn't sound too far from. And so I kind of looked at him. I said, you know, there was a little bit of sarcasm uh, to that point. But, you know, you could end up really dropping some serious coin. Uh, oh, yeah. it, uh, but I, you know, I fully intend on, on uh, taking advantage of, of the outdoors. I don't know that I'm going to get to the point of ice fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe, uh, um, maybe I'm on kind of a sailboat or something that goes across the ice. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> My experience, ice fishing is great if there's someone else who has done it a long time and you can just peg along <laughs> and, uh, sit in the tent. You don't and, want a solo, and, uh, a solo yeah, venture. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's a lot of equipment on the front end, I think. No <laughs> for doubt. Ice fishing. Yeah. Uh, great. Well, we're going to dive into uh, getting to know you a bit more. I wanted to start with something that might sound a little, um, it's, it's certainly part of my little uh, part of the world. Uh, but Brian, you and I have been talking a few times recently, and um, I, I told you I'd, I'd ask you this. You strike me as someone who has sort of a Forrest Gump element to the way that you've uh, just come across a lot of major figures in the, the broader evangelical Christian world. That, that's a big world, though, as we'll talk about, it's also smaller than it often appears. Um, but, uh, for a certain type of evangelical Christianity, you've come across some of the major, uh, leaders, major figures, major personalities in that movement. First of all, would you agree that that's something that you've experienced throughout your life? And then do you have any explanation for it? Do you have a sort of sense of why that would be? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, as I look back and, and have had to, uh, you know, through the interview process and coming here and, and as, uh, folks have been asking about my story. You just naturally have to end up looking back and you try to really piece together this through line of, of, of what are those that the connective tissue uh, that, that, that makes the arc of your, your story consistent. And I think uh, uh, for me, having 
opportunities throughout my career, uh, for example, like to work with Rick Warren on Purpose Driven Life uh, and producing the, the radio spots um, for that, you know, back in, you know, the late 90s, I had, I had no idea um, that would have, have been something that I uh, had, had sought out or an opportunity to engage with Promise Keepers um, and a- attending the first uh, Promise Keepers event that the men had in, in a hockey arena in, in, in Canada. As I look at scripture, what comes to mind uh, for me were t- two things. One uh, from Isaiah, where Isaiah uh, was responding to a call uh, from the Lord, uh, you know, uh, about a call for repentance and in Israel and, and the Lord says, who, who am I going to, to send, if I recall it correctly? And Isaiah responded and said, here am I, you know, send me. Uh, and just this whole idea of being available. Uh, opportunities that, that uh, uh, came uh, to me, rather than seeking them out, it's just a different perspective. Uh, I think it's a, a very uh, humbling experience when you approach uh, the Lord like that and say, Lord, uh, use me, uh, guide me, direct me, uh, with real hands uh, wide open. Even the opportunity, uh, you know, coming here to Upper House. Um, again, going back to an earlier statement, I, I would have no idea that I would be sitting here in this chair right now. But grateful for every experience and opportunity. And, and as, you, um, as you said that I have a, a Forrest Gump, um, I, I wasn't sure if I should have taken that as a compliment or... It was meant um, as a compliment, but, but you know, yeah, I, I receive I, it as a compliment <laughs> because it's actually um, one of my son's uh, f- uh, favorite movies mm. and our and our family's uh, favorite movies. We actually had a chance to go to Savannah, Georgia, and mm. and uh, see you know the the that bench area, you know, where he he sat, you know, with uh, with the box of chocolates, right, and, right. And uh, so, anyway, I'm just mm. grateful for the opportunities uh, that that the Lord had, and I just the perspective of open hands. Allowing the Lord to 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 bring that to me, rather than going out and pursuing it, um, it really uh, has has been quite a quite quite a gift. Yeah, great. Well, uh, yeah, it was definitely meant as a compliment. I <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm someone who studies evangelicalism sort of historically, and just hearing you know Rick Warren and I, we talked about a story with John Stott where mm, you got yep. to I think pick him up at a hotel or something, and <laughs> just really interesting to hear. Uh, uh, someone who's been, you know, through all those different circles. Um, well, let's let's back up and uh, let's uh, go back in time and just get a sense. Where did you grow up and and how did you become a Christian or a follower of Jesus? Yeah, I grew up in uh, southern New Jersey. And uh, so uh, a part of my mission in life actually has been to redeem uh, the <laughs> reputation of New Jersey. It's really <laughs> an amazing state. Um, and if, you know, if you followed MTV at all in, in the mid nineties, uh, or maybe it was the early two thousands that the Jersey shore got a bad rap. And so really it's my, my, uh, uh job, uh, to try to redeem, uh, the beauty of, of hmm. New Jersey. It is called the garden state. Right? It is the so, garden yeah. state for, for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I grew up in, in Southern New Jersey, about 15 miles East of Philadelphia, and um, my parents were always ones to feel like, hey, if, if we weren't going to bring you up in the best way possible of uh, following Christ, then, you know, the church, so our partnership with the church and my parents' partnership in bringing us, I can remember being in church, you know, at a very, very young age. And so even at uh, 10 years old, uh, after attending a summer camp, uh, actually it was Camp Halawasa, 
hallelujah, what a savior uh, in southern New Jersey and, you know, had that campfire experience. Um, there was just something that the Lord had gotten a hold of my heart. And I responded by saying, you know what? I want that. I want that life. I want that light. And so in part, it was an, an, an emotional um, uh, response, which most, uh, most people have. But then there was a connection to my mind uh, and a connection to and a love for scripture that I just couldn't shake. And so uh, I actually had, had come home from the uh, uh, camp experience, and then I remember staying up two nights later on that week, and I accepted the Lord into my heart. And then the second night, I did it again because I'm not sure that I did it the right way the first time, <laughs> and I just wanted, wanted to be sure. And so I've been living you know, as best I can for Jesus since, uh, since 10 years old. Wow, 10 years old. So in middle school, high school, college, um, were you pretty involved in youth groups and, and other organizations, or was that something you sort of came to at some point? Yeah, we had, again, going back to the, the church experience, uh, we attended a Baptist church in Berlin, New Jersey, and it had a, a thriving uh, youth group uh, at the time. And so um, we were just together. We, we just did life uh, together where there were a lot of activities. Uh, I really discovered my love for music and even uh, Christian music. We would go to concerts uh, all the time. Uh, and um, had even, you know, some of, some of the artists that I ended up meeting and working with later in the years, I said, you know what, I, I, I came to your concert. I was 15. Uh, you know, you're at, at the, Pit, the Pittman Theater. Uh, Pittman, New Jersey, uh, you know, seeing bands like Farrell and Farrell and DeGarmo and Key. And then even one of my first concerts was Amy Grant in, mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. And and uh, so so uh, my teenage years were full of opportunities that the church uh, provided. And then with relationship, too, that was really just incredible. But as it happens with with most, uh, you know, teenagers and getting involved in school and stuff, church uh, took a backseat. Um, and not until my uh, sophomore year in college, uh, I had an internship at a Bible conference in, in Maryland uh, on the Chesapeake Bay, where I, I ran sound and, and produced a, a, a radio program. So for 10 weeks in the summer, I would have two church services a day. And so we had, we had Bible teachers like uh, Howard Hendricks, uh, come in, Tony Evans, Tony Campolo, Joe Stoll from Moody Bible, uh, Larry Crabb, you know, when he was still alive. And so I would, I sat under this teaching, two church services a day for 10 weeks, really impacted my life and, and helped, helped to bring me back into an understanding of my love for scripture. So there was this period, you know, teenage years, but then kind of get back on, on the, uh, on the bike again in college and and really have been been following hard after uh, Jesus since then. Great. And and where did you go to college? I went to Messiah College, yeah. which is now Messiah University, and um, spent uh, my two years, and this is in uh, Grantham, Pennsylvania, not far from Harrisburg and, and Hershey, but spent my uh, first two years at our main campus. And then at the time when I was there, we had a, a program with Temple University in Philadelphia. So that's where I really, I grew to love the urban uh, environment, urban university environment as well uh, with Temple. And, and so I could take my classes with Temple professors, men uh, who were 
directors of film were really early on the uh, uh, stages of MTV and, and uh, music video and production. So it was really quite a treat. Yeah. And were you, you've obviously become a professional communications marketing type person. Was that something that you were interested in going into college? Did you develop an interest in it? Where did that interest come from? Yeah. Um, so it, I remember early on uh, going to bed and I would, uh, with, a, with a radio, by my head. And I used to uh, listen to the Dr. Demento uh, radio program, which was just really crazy nuts. And I used to listen to talk radio and, and news and stuff and music uh, in particular. And I never really felt like I had what it would take to be a performer, for mm -hmm. example, like in music. So I, so I had an understanding of how I was wired really as somebody who was in a support role. I'm a great number two guy. I don't know that I'm the one to necessarily be the leader. So asking myself, man, really, what could I do that I could end up being involved with music or production or something where I didn't have to be the guy on the other side of the mic? And so really under, really saw, uh, and, and my college experience really helped me with this. I did some internships up in Cape Cod and a radio program. I actually lived in the office where I worked during the day. So I'd roll out my mat uh, on, on the floor and I'd sleep there overnight and then get up and work the next day. But it allowed me in the evening to, to and this was when reel-to-reel -reel tape uh, you know, was around. That's how I learned how to edit. And so I would have free reign of the studio and to really develop my, my craft you know, and understand what it would mean to be a producer and be behind the scenes. Uh, so that's really, you know, and, and I've got the scars on my fingers <laughs> where the razor blade, uh, you know, where I learned editing, but just a, a love for behind the scenes for producing and the craft and really helping to elevate and, and support those who I was working with. Yeah. So, so maybe let's get a little more theoretical about what that type of work is, whether it's communications work or editing work. Uh, maybe talk a little more about that, about being maybe behind the scenes, assisting the talent or, or the people uh, on the stage. Get a sense of what drew to that work, but give any sort of a broader sense of how do you approach that work? What are you thinking about as sort of best practices or, or, the, or how you want to do that work well? Yeah, I think that uh, the essence of, of my work is to help uh, certainly elevate, um, and, but present in a really cohesive way to remove barriers um, that are keeping people from being able to connect to mission, vision, and what we're about. And so I even see that in my work here at Upper House. Uh, my love for story, uh, hopefully, is going to come through uh, loud and clear. But at the same time, there, there are things that keep people away from being able to connect with mission and vision. And so I'm one to help to discover that and remove those, those barriers. And I, I believe in simplicity and brevity, and uh, there's all kinds of stuff that uh, is presented to people that really is unnecessary. So really getting to the essence of uh, whether it be a particular ad that we're producing or developing, social media posts, even blog posts, or even pictures and how you compose pictures. You want to get to the essence of the subject matter and and present it in such a way that it is appealing, uh, something that's going to draw people in and help to promote engagement and the conversation. 
And I think that that's what, what I love about what, what Upper House uh, is doing here in particular, is providing space for that engagement and that, and that conversation. So I really feel called to, to that clarity. Clarity is, is something uh, uh, from my, my sense and, and the chair that I sit in. I've got to, got to bring clarity to the people that are receiving in meetings that I have with my coworkers to help bring clarity to their mission and help refine that and present it to, to our audience who's here and then who's, who's not here yet. You know, uh, we have to be all about that as well. Um, uh, addressing and telling the story to those that are sitting in our seats and that we're engaging with. And but at the same time being appealing for those students and then the, the greater city of Madison and abroad, we actually just started advertising on NPR mm. uh, recently here and Wisconsin public radio WPR and the challenge of, of, you're uh, refining your message to a 15 second, <laughs> uh, you know, you've, you've got to get in and you got to get out. And so it really was a difficult exercise, but I find that that challenge uh, motivates me. It causes me to get better as a communicator. And hopefully that we at Upper House can become a better organization through that hard work that we're doing in communications to really refine uh, what we're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's, it's always harder to write less than to write more. <laughs> At least if you know what you're talking about, it's harder to do that. Um, you've mentioned a few times, I think you said you were your, our chief storyteller. That's one way you introduce uh, yourself. And, and that story is so important to um, that clarity, maybe. I wonder if you have any reflections on, on story and why that's so... I think of this, I think of the Bible is written as a story and has a beginning with Genesis and an end with Revelation. And so there's clearly a, a a biblical story that that the that the Bible is telling, and I think of in our culture today that so much of what draws people in to organizations, to identities, to to, to really any communal project are the stories that uh, people can see themselves in. Why do you think that is, or, or do you have any thoughts on on the centrality of story to to human human identity? Yeah, I th I think it's how God has wired us. I think God has has wired us to respond to to story. Um. Why did Jesus spend so much of his ministry in connecting with uh, his his audience in in ways that they would understand stories in in uh, in and about the agrarian culture and 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 what they would understand, uh, what the poor would understand, and and really like how he would talk about really lofty issues of the kingdom, but do it in such a simple way that people were compelled. I think of the, the woman with the issue of blood who had, had come to, to seek and to pursue Jesus, and her life depended on it. But there was something that he had engaged her in the teachings of Jesus where she felt that she could enter into and become a part of that bigger story. And so I think that that is something that is the appeal of story is I can see myself in that as well. And so join me in that. And, and I think how um, books are still, even like the printed page, hardback. Uh, I even had a choice the other night I was on uh, Amazon and I, could, I had five different choices uh, for how I could receive a book, whether it be an audible uh, uh, version, audio version, a uh, Kindle version, a softback or a hardback. There's four versions. 
I went for the hardback. I wanted to, to feel it. I wanted to turn the page. I want to write in it. And there's something to the imagination that the printed uh, uh, word helps with people and the, and the telling of those stories. My kids, too, at 17 and 19, the generation is, has you know, their, their uh, a mobile device uh, joined at the hip. But there's something about entering into, into story for them that just ignites their heart. And I and again, I think that that God has hardwired us in our in our DNA uh, to respond to the beauty of story. Yeah, I agree with you. It's something I've. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I, I resonate with those feelings as well. But um, as someone who grew up in a in a type of evangelicalism that was very much about sort of propositional truth and and what we really know about God. Um, yes, there's a story, but it's really about these sort of attributes or these statements we can say about God. I've really come to appreciate the the narrative part of that, or even the, the division between sort of biblical theology, which emphasizes the biblical story, and systematic theology, which is much more about sort of what can we know if we combine everything. I think I've really appreciated that being here at Upper House and seeing not just you, but other people on our team uh, trying to articulate our story in a very busy, crowded culture. Uh, and a, and a very a and a very unique culture at that. You know the opportunity that we have um, uh, to to be engaged with, and not just not just on the outside or the outskirts, but to be engaged and um, I wouldn't say embedded in. But there's a relationship that we want to have with the academic culture at the University of Wisconsin here in Madison that that I have not been a part of before, but. And as I have have said to to you and to others, I'm in a real uh, I'm in a student mode now. I'm going to learn and grow and and see how this works and bring my experience to bear, and then learn uh, from you guys and be in in the in the middle because it is a very unique calling for us to be here in in the midst. And um, man, what a great future we have uh, together! Here we go. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, well, let's get back to your story. And particularly, <laughs> we were talking just, I think, last week, realizing that we both lived in the same city Come on now. for about a decade. Yeah. Uh, um, and I was much younger than you, at, still am, but uh, at the time I was a kid um, <laughs> and you know, I was in middle school and high school and you were off doing uh, jobs and, and working for organizations. Yeah. But uh, yeah, talk to, I, I just want to create some space to sort of reminisce about Colorado Springs, Colorado Come on, in, yeah. the, in the 90s and 2000s, a place much different than Madison uh, for a lot of different reasons, but was really a, a hotbed of um, particularly evangelical Christian activity. That's why my family moved there. It sounds like that's why uh, you moved there in part. I'll just start with, with my brief story and then I want to hear why you moved there and yeah. what you did. But I was a missionary kid, so I grew up in Germany it, partially, but uh, the missions organization that we were with was called Greater Europe Mission. It was originally headquartered in Wheaton, Illinois, another hotspot of evangelical activity, but moved, and I don't know exactly when, but moved to Monument, Colorado, which was just north of Colorado Springs. Part of that was the cheap land. It was a, seemed like sort of the Wild West in the 90s. A lot of people were moving from both the West Coast and back East uh, to Colorado. And so my dad ended up working at the home office of the mission. He's an accountant by training, so he, he was the main accountant at the, at the office. So I ended up living in Colorado Springs from age uh, 7 to 17, basically, uh, when I moved off to college, um, right when I turned 18. So a lot of my formative years were in the suburbs of Colorado Springs. I went to 
public schools there. We talked about that. Uh, <laughs> and so I didn't really think much of it. Just it was the town I grew up in and I didn't have a ton to compare it to. But um, ended up going to uh, a number of churches, but the one for the longest period of time was Woodman Valley Chapel, one of the big evangelical mega churches, non-denominational mega churches in Colorado Springs. So I have a lot of fond memories. A lot of my best friends, you know, from that period still live in the area. Uh, and then I ended up going to Colorado State University. So not that far away, still still in state. Um, so that was my 90s and, and 2000s. <laughs> Brian, why did you move to Colorado Springs? And, yeah. And what did yeah. you do there? So I, um, uh, mid-90s, uh, was working at a uh, radio station in Philadelphia. And it just felt that I had peaked in terms of, of my uh, uh, use at the station. You know, I kind of knew that the, the path upward really wasn't uh, going very, very far. So started to just kind of broaden uh, my view and a, a, a job position became available at a, a, um, a young advertising agency in Colorado Springs. And I said, you know, I'm just going to apply for it and go and, and, and see what ends up happening. Just so happened to be in Colorado. There are many people that moved to Colorado be, for the beauty of the state, the climate, just the whole westward ex- expansion. I was looking for a, a job. I had no idea. And so ended up uh, you know, coming to work for this uh, agency. It, it, we ended up supporting uh, Promise Keepers and, and uh, Zondervan Publishing and, and stuff. But I just, I really didn't know what I was getting into uh, at, at the time. And then our agency you know, really exploded you know, with uh, the growth of, of Promise Keepers and and Christian media at the time and, and working, you know, with, with radio stations. Um, but I really had, had no idea. And then our, our, um, offices were actually, uh, we could see Woodman Valley Chapel, mm. uh, in, in the distance. And, uh, when, uh, Pastor Jim Tomberlin was there, I actually uh, was there as well and, and helped to, uh, uh, to lead worship, uh, on, on occasion, uh, there at the church. And then Woodman continued uh, to grow. And then later, as uh, uh, Jim would uh, retire, and then they welcomed uh, their new pastor, Matt Hurd, who uh, later became uh, a friend of mine as well. And there are all these intersection points that were really interesting with, with our life. And I'm sure that we cross paths uh, I, I may have seen you on the worship stage or something <laughs> as a kid. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, all the names you're saying are, are very familiar yeah, names Yeah, to me. did you know J.R. Briggs? I didn't. Uh, at all? No. Uh, wow. so, so JR, if, if you have opportunity, JR, you know, led, uh, more of a young, young yeah. adults, um, yeah. uh, ministry and, and has gone on to, to really be an incredible, uh, guide for leadership and, and, uh, in the, in the Christian context, uh, as well. But there's a lot of really, um, uh, important people and, and, uh, things have had come out of, of Colorado, uh, at that time. And, and, uh, but, you know, again, if the, you just have no idea, uh, you're just rolling with, what the Lord is bringing before you and just say, continue to say yes. And so I met my wife in Colorado Springs. Our kids were born there. And uh, even we had prayed, uh, you know, in this season of, of transition, Lord, would you bring us back to Colorado? There was such a love for the state, the people, uh, everything. And, and uh, obviously the doors, doors closed and we're here, but there's a fondness that I have for Colorado that'll never, that'll never die. Yeah. My wife and I also would love to return to Colorado at some point too. No plans to do that, but it's always uh, and it always sits in a, in your imagination in a way that might not. Uh, Colorado's changed a lot, as as you know, Absolutely. in the last twenty years as yeah. well. Yeah, and I, I resonate too that I, I didn't really realize what I was in the middle of as a as a kid, 
And for for listeners who who aren't as familiar, uh, when I when we say sort of as a hotspot for a, a certain evangelical Christianity, it was really there were a lot of organizations that had national prominence that had their headquarters in Colorado Springs, and then there was just this regular traffic of all the big names that you'd read about in the news or in your church circles. And many of them came through Colorado Springs quite regularly. Mm-hmm. So I'm not exactly sure what the comparison would be to other. Other religions, sometimes Colorado Springs has been referred to in the 90s as sort of the Vatican of evangelicalism or something. So just sort of the center. That's not really fair because there's a, there's other centers as well. But, yeah. um, you know, and I went to Woodman Valley Chapel, this big, big church. It had grown a ton. We were part of that growth. And when when I went there as a in, in the youth group, I uh, they'd actually, the, the youth group would meet across the street in a shopping center. The Windchime Center? Windchime Center, yeah. yeah. I haven't heard that. <laughs> that term for a while. And I just assumed that was what every kid did when they went to church was they'd sort of go over to a shopping center that the church owned and be in this gargantuan sort of renovated uh, store. <laughs> of course, that's that's a, a unique experience for mega church kids, but I, I just didn't you know have the context. So, mm. well, that's great. So we, we, we were both there. We probably saw each other um, at some point. <laughs> I do want to uh, trace your story up to the present. We don't have to hit every point. Sure. But at some point, you obviously left uh, Colorado Springs. Yeah, and I know there there were a couple stops on the way yeah, before yeah. here, um, but yeah, whatever you want to share about yeah. your story after that. Yeah, we, uh, you know, as I mentioned, our our children uh, were born in Colorado Springs, and um, our our respective families. My wife grew up in the northern suburbs of Chicago. I grew up in southern New Jersey, and you know, Colorado is nowhere near mm-hmm. <laughs> Chicago or Jersey, and so as the kids were getting older. Our desire to be closer to uh, to family really became preeminent uh, for us, and and so sought out some opportunities, and and the Lord, uh, you know, opened up the door for us to be in the Chicago uh, suburbs, western suburbs, and I ended up serving two roles um, at a at what would be a, a mega church, uh, a Christ Community Church. We had a number of campuses throughout Western Chicago, and served uh, as communications director, and then later creative arts uh, director. Uh, overseeing the the weekend experience there, and just an incredible uh, opportunity. And then my wife, at the same time, received her master's from Northern Illinois University. She's um, a counselor, school counselor, but had a difficult time finding uh, a role in uh, Illinois. So we had a friend of ours who was in the Middle East, in Qatar, and she said to us, why don't you guys look abroad? and see uh, you know, what could open up for you. Incredible schools all over the world. And so we ended up going to a job fair in uh, northern Iowa and met with uh, a school from Seoul, South Korea. And we were offered an opportunity. We actually had 10 hours to decide whether we would go or not. And mind you, our families had no idea what was going on. So we ended up accepting the role and we we went to uh, Seoul, South Korea, and ended up there for five years. A uh, very significant time for me, for my family. And I tell you, there's not a day go by that I don't think about our experience in Korea. Uh, just fell in love with their story, the history of, of Korea, the Korean people, how proud uh, they are. Uh, the food, obviously, urban uh, living, Seoul, you know, a city of 24 million people. Um, and very just hungry for life, really ended up developing some significant relationships in that season. 
And then it came a point for us to uh, come back to the States. Our, our, uh, our uh, daughter was getting ready to enter high school and, and we wanted her to have a very unique American experience uh, for both of them. And so we ended up in, this, in the uh, Cincinnati suburbs of Mason. And when you came uh, back to Cincinnati from Seoul, uh, this uh, common experience is you sort of read, if you live abroad, you sort of see the US or American culture with new eyes. Oh boy. Uh, what, what, was, what, what was something that stood out when you came back and uh, you were reacquainted with American oh, culture? Oh man, portion sizes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we would go to restaurants and we're like, there's no reason to have a 104 ounce Coke, you know, set out uh, before you. And, and so we, we had, you know, in Korea, we had, and it really is pervasive throughout the entire culture. You just live on simple and, and what you need for the day. Actually, the, the can size of uh, uh, Coke, you know, we're only the, you can only get the 10 ounce mm. uh, cans. If you were to get a 16 ounce or larger, you'd actually end up going to an international market because they would, they would import stuff in from the West. Because the 10 ounce Coke is really all you need for a, for a sitting. And so I even find myself now when I go to the market, if I'm going to get a, a 10 pack of Coke or something, I'm not getting, uh, you know, the full 16 ounce bottle. I'm getting the little, the little 10 ounce mini, uh, mini cans because that's just, just what I need. But it took about a year hmm. to get fully acclimated back into U.S. Now, the Western culture and, and uh, being an American in Korea is, a, is an incredible experience. The, uh, the Koreans love Americans and America and, and our story, their story of freedom is because of, of the American intervention in the 50s in the Korean War. And so um, when we would walk around the city, we were approached by complete strangers and, and given you know, hugs. We would even get like free food at, at restaurants. And we certainly didn't want that attention. We were grateful for that, but the love goes deep. But mm. anyway, getting back to your, to your earlier question, it took us a while yeah. to get reacclimated to American life. And, and uh, so there is part of me that wishes that I could, <laughs> I could go back. And who knows, we may end up uh, there someday. Yeah. I, I, we lived abroad, my wife and I, in Jerusalem for a year and came back. So not nearly as long as five years. But one thing, you, you mentioned how people would be appreciative of you. There, there's some of that in, in, in Jerusalem, in Israel, maybe not as much, but I, I, if anyone go, go look at my page on the, uh, on the fat, on the profiles of, of upper house, I do not look like an Israeli. I look like a Northern European American, uh, <laughs> stock. And so, uh, it, it was interesting coming back. It's like, oh, you can be anonymous again. Uh, it was partly also, I, I dress very American. So I was dressed in cargo shorts and things that no one in the middle East wears. They, they wear, uh, jeans, even if it's a hundred degrees out and I'm there with the, you know, muscle shirt and shorts looking like a, a real American. So anyway, that was one thing I noticed too, is you come back to your home culture and you can just sort of be, uh, be anonymous or, or just be fit in, in a way that often you can't when you're living abroad. Yeah. Our children in particular, um, were deeply impacted through our time in Korea. And our son would often tell the story of, uh, when we were on, uh, we would travel throughout, uh, Seoul using public transportation, you know, the best subway system, uh, hands down mm -hmm. in the world. And so he would want to wear a, uh, a ski cap, a winter hat all the time. He had very blonde hair, uh, you know, at, at the time. And, uh, so the Ajamas, um, uh, you know, older uh, Korean women would, would come and want to touch his, touch his hair. 
and and um, you know really cozy up to him and and give him candy and stuff. And it really was very off off putting uh, for him at the time until he even learned a phrase. I think it was uh, manchichi aseo or something. Uh, basically, don't touch my hair. Uh, he would he learned this Korean phrase because it became so prevalent with his with his experience, and it took him you know a real a long time to get adjusted to that. And he would even today, if you were to talk to him at seventeen years old, you know what some of the the, the lasting memories of of Korea would be. Uh, there was a fascination, uh, you know, with with his hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Well, I I derailed us from um, you connecting uh, Cincinnati to to now. So uh, we're, you've moved back um, to the states. What what brings you to Cincinnati, and then what what gets you finally to Madison? Yeah, when uh, word got out on the the street, as it were, via social media and and uh, through through connections that that we were seeking uh, to come back to the U.S. My former uh, supervisor from the church that I worked in, Chicago, heard that we were coming back. He was serving as executive pastor at Vineyard uh, Cincinnati Church and said, Brian, you know, before you go any further, don't talk to anybody else. I've got a great position for you. And so I heard about the, the role in uh, late December and uh, I said to Eric, you know, there's going to be, you know, a six month wait for for me to to come back. Uh, and he said, you know, if the Lord is in it, uh, he'll provide uh, the means and the patience to be able to do that. So uh, I progressively started to work a little bit from Korea. And, you know, the 12 hour <laughs> time difference was a little bit of a challenge. Um, but by the time we got to Cincinnati, it really felt like home, you know, for us uh, to be there and have had a great experience uh, in Cincinnati and in ministry there. I had an opportunity to lead uh, three uh, three teams, our uh, media and communications uh, team, our worship team, and our hospitality team. Basically the through line of, of a weekend experience for what our congregation, uh, that that was under, under my uh, uh, purview. And so we had a, a pretty incredible uh, run at the church, pretty five years, uh, full of a lot of drama, challenges with COVID uh, that had come with that, um, but really felt that my calling during that time was to be a person of peace, right? And to be a non-anxious presence in the midst of a lot of change, a lot of turmoil. And so guiding my team and bringing them to a place of health and collaboration, innovation, um, trying to be as optimistic and as positive as possible. And it got to the point at the end of the five years where I really sensed that the Lord you know, said to me, you know what, you've done what I've asked you to do. It's now time to move on. Mm. And so it didn't really make any sense because I was in a, a place of great respect and love of my coworkers and the church, phenomenal place to worship and call home. Uh, my kids uh, loved it there as well. And so so the move away from the vineyard, uh, I've never really questioned uh, God in that or said why, but again, just being available and just saying, yes, Lord, what would you have for me? And so it was a very healthy transition away from, and I'm still still very connected with uh, those that are there. And, and uh, you know, when I do go back to work from home in Cincinnati, that's our place of worship. And it's going to be really wonderful to see everybody again. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So what, Brian, drew you to Upper House? It's uh, an organization here located in Madison. We serve 
broadly, uh, the UW campus, we've mentioned you don't have any roots here in Madison. So uh, what, what drew you to, to apply and then dig deeper with us on if this was the right move? Yeah, I think, and not necessarily in this order, there was a lot about the position that excited me. The more that I read about Upper House, um, the mission and the vision of Upper House, to be a center of uh, cr Christian thought and of hospitality, to welcome uh, students in, you know, and thinking of concentric circles, right? You've got the the audience of, of the University of, of Wisconsin, students, faculty, and then uh, the broader uh, engagement with the city of, of Madison. I've heard just a lot of phenomenal things about Madison. Uh, there are some certainly unique things about Madison, political, um, cultural, uh, things that were real hot spots, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of, of the discussion that's happened here, the state capitol, you know, is right down the street uh, from us here. In fact, it's very visible uh, from the campus and just the way that that the campus was set up to, to view. And I'm learning that there's such a bigger, there's a bigger story in terms of the Wisconsin idea and as it relates to the, the Capitol and, and the campus. And there's something that just is intriguing. And I was like, you know what? I just want to dig deeper in that. And so you have an organization like Upper House that working closely with the Stephen Laurel Brown Foundation that wants to engage with a, a culture and a community and impact, um, but not just to, you know, for lack of a better word, to pick a fight with, but to really be in partnership with and say, you know what, there is a, 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 a possibility uh, for connectivity and growth and learning and understanding uh, that we can uh, be with each other. And I'm finding uh, that uh, the gospel in um, Madison is alive and well. And um, I think that for the most part, the Christian community is a well-respected community here in Madison. And I think at this, the same time, as much of the that I'm reading in newspapers about the, the city and the, the, the uh, supposed polarization, uh, there are people on the left that are also willing to engage in uh, uh, discussion uh, as well, and so that these communities that are coexisting uh, together, it's it's interesting physically where the location of Upper House is on on the campus of the University of Wisconsin, and then as you look at the bigger bigger uh, picture of where we are, and we're smack dab like right in the middle of the, of the city, and the events that I've been a part of, um, and the people that I've met. All of the suspicions or the questions that I had about Upper House have come true. And I'm like, man, what an amazing opportunity. And again, I want to be a part of that. I want to be, a, I want to be in the middle of the, of the discussion and really and break down the walls. It's not an us versus them. Um, it is a we. And so what can we do uh, uh, to help to elevate and be a part of the story that, that the Lord is writing here? Because you, as a historian, are seeing those through lines. You're seeing the the impact of faith here in in the the center of of the university has the the rippling effects, and it's still being felt today. And so we have an opportunity to continue that story that was started, you know, a long time ago. How long? How old is this? 175 years. We're celebrating the 175th anniversary of of the state. And the university, yeah, eighteen forty-eight legacy, 
right? Yeah. And so, so for us to to help to write uh, at least a portion of that chapter to help to continue to to influence uh, for the sake of the gospel is is such a high calling. Um, but I think that uh, Upper House is doing it in a way that is that is is gentle, it's respectful, and and very loving, very compassionate. And uh, so I'm like, man, I want to. Can I be a part of that? <laughs> Would you guys welcome me in into that? And so, when I got the call uh, that I was going to come here, I mean, I was just like, I'm just happy, <laughs> and uh, I'm an optimist, uh, you know, out of the gate anyway. Uh, and I I love to be on the the you know the glass half full uh, side of things. And but man, if we have an understanding of of who we are and whose we are, and that we want to develop community be together and, and grow. If there's that mutual respect, oh man, there's, there's, you can do so much, so much. Well, that's beautiful. One thing I, I won't project on you, but this is how I thought of it. And we come out of a similar stream of, of Christianity is um, growing up in the evangelical world. There's so many good people doing good work. There's also problematic expressions of evangelicalism as well. And I remember when I was applying here, a uh, much different situation than you, but I, I was like, that's a really good expression of how I want to be a Christian, uh, particularly in this sort of university context. And that's not to say that there's many people at Upper House, not all of them come out of the same tradition. Not all of them know Woodman Valley Chapel or anything like that. But but that's one thing I really like here is, is that there's a particular expression of a commitment to certain theological truths or, or truths we hold about the world, but also a deep desire to engage the community as it is mm. and, and to be good neighbors, as well as people who are calling others to what we think is, is truth. So, yeah, I actually had, um, an opportunity last week as I see students that come in to our space and they utilize, uh, open study hours. For example, one, one of the things that we're able to do is to provide a culture of hospitality. Students may not necessarily engage with the programs and the events that we have, but there's such a beautiful space, 15,000 square feet that is made available for free to them. And so I get an opportunity to see right outside my office as uh, students come in and there, the, there were uh, six or seven students that were huddled around the reception area and they, they didn't look familiar and, and they uh, approached the space with, you know, they're looking up and you, mm -hmm. you know, when people are lost, when they're, when they're looking up and looking around. And so I came out, introduced myself. And, uh, and I said, can I say that you're, you're new here? And that, yeah, we're new here. Uh, I said, well, welcome. It's great to have you. Who brought you? And they pointed at me, all of them pointed to this uh, one young female. And uh, I said, you know, thanks for bringing your friends here. What motivated you to be able to do that? And she said, you know, I just have had such a positive experience here at Upper House. People are so kind. And so that is our calling you know, love God, love people. And so provide, you know, an opportunity and a space for students to come and to feel there's no judgment. You know, they can just come and, and utilize uh, the space as much as they need it. They can come and take naps out on the porch. You know, it's not <laughs> uncommon for me to see a kid totally sacked out. But if we can provide, uh, you know, a, a space and an experience for them where they feel loved, cared for, no strings attached, man, that's beautiful. So uh, we'll end on this question. You've been, you're coming to us as the director of marketing 
you know, the, the audience here, many of them know Upper House pretty well, so you can get a little more specific if you want. But what are you hoping to bring in the next, say, next season, whatever that is, next year, whatever the, the early phase of, of a job is? What are you hoping to, to contribute or bring to the project? Yeah, I think um, I am excited to be a part of telling the story of one of the best kept secrets in Madison. Mm. I think, and, and that's, you know, the impetus behind heading to um, uh, NPR, for example, and, and uh, developing a relationship uh, with them. Because I think that the, the, the audience of those that are listening to NPR, for example, they're very thoughtful, educated, um, a desire to, to be engaged, you know, in, in community and, and, um, and higher pursuits and, and for us, educational pursuits. And then, and, and then opportunities to, to grow in art and, and, and music. Uh, there are so many things that are made available here, but man, what a great story that we have to tell. So, so my mission is to help to elevate and tell as many people as possible to come and taste and see and be a part of and grow and learn and make friends and, and be involved in community because there's something here that's so unique and so special. And then the other thing too with that is, is, is kind of like bottling this and, and sharing it with others. You know, there are like, what 40 other Christian study centers are around the country on the campus of the university of, of Michigan or Yale or Virginia and being able to share best practices with them and also learn how they're doing it as well. Man, I'm excited. Mm. Let's go. I'm excited too, Brian. Um, really glad to have you uh, on the team. Uh, if uh, you're listening and you're in Madison and uh, you want to stop by, I'm sure Brian would be happy to Let's grab uh, a coffee. Yeah, grab let's a go. Coffee. Okay, you're, you're committing to a coffee. So that's more <laughs> than I was going to commit you to. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the audience of the Upwards podcast. Now, Brian is new, but he's not the only new staff member we have recently. We've, we've been in a period of growth at Upper House. So over the next few months, uh, we'll be doing a similar type conversation with a few other of the new staff, just so that, that people get to know who's on our team. And we're excited for all the, the talent, all the, the amazing people that God's bringing uh, to our project here in Madison. So thank you for listening. And until next time, go in peace. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to check out our upcoming events on upperhouse.org. The Upwards podcast is supported by the Stephen and Laurel Brown Foundation. It is produced at Upper House in Madison, Wisconsin. Hosted by Dan Hummel, music by Micah Bear, audio engineering by Jesse Koopman, and graphic design by Madeline Ramsey. Please follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn with the handle at Upper House UW.